we can map out our discipleship path and we might understand ourselves a little bit better and each other. And so today we're really focusing on what that looks like as a community. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Gracious God, as we come here, we are just centered around your word. We are centered around the opportunity we have to come together as community, both in presence and online, and how we are community together. What connects us as Good Shepherd? What makes us a, a part of this flock? And how are we different? How are we the same? What words do you have to give to us about how we are to live in those differences and that diversity? So, Lord, speak into your words, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. Speak into me. May the things that I say be acceptable and pleasing to you. Maybe something that I don't even say. Speak to our hearts this morning because it comes directly from you to our spirit. I ask these things on behalf of myself and all of us gathered here. Let your spirit flow now through everything that we do. In Jesus Christ's name we ask and pray. And the people of God said together, Amen. So reflect back on the four types that we've talked about over this time. And as you look at the version notes in your uh, event, they're all right there. But we know we started off this whole thing with Mark and and Davis and others who shared and you know had a wonderful Markin service that was very different. And, and then we followed up with John and looking at John and, and going through that and seeing how John's would lead worship and the John part of myself. And then we went to uh, into the, the Matthew part or the reverse of that probably. And uh, so we talked about Matthew and looked at Matthew and what it is about Matthew that makes a that's who we are. And then we looked at last week about Luke. And Rick and Stephanie uh, led us and Debbie and shared their experiences uh, along the journey. So now that we've, we've looked at all four of the types individually, we can now ask the question, what kind of disciples are we together? Now we might get anxious if we are not the majority type at our church. You know, maybe you're thinking, am I still useful? Will they understand me when we're not the same? And the answer is yes. See, because Good Shepherd can't be a strong Markin or Mathean or Lucan or Johannian church without the presence of the other types who will keep us all moving forward in discipleship as God created them to be. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. The metaphor that's told in several different ways in 1 Corinthians 12, and that's the whole chapter we're kind of looking at today. See, Paul is teaching us that God made us different on purpose. And we have to understand how the other parts of the body work so we can understand ourselves because we have the other parts with us in the body of Christ. And so our diversity is our strength and we have people in all four types with different combinations and that is great. So the goal then is how do we integrate all of our types into our congregation? And also, how do we live out together our congregational type gathered together and live out our discipleship in 
the strengths of that way. So the first step, Michelle says, is to figure out who you are, which we've done by taking the assessment together and and learning more about ourselves and how we might lean one way or another. And once we know the who we are as a church, the how becomes clearer. And like any good Mathean, it means building a system that reflects our shared identity. So what are our results? Well, you can probably guess, but we are more than likely a strong Lucan church. That might not come as a surprise to you. But those are the highest numbers of everybody who's gathered together. And basically what happens is that you have a point for each person who, for their main type and a point five for those for the secondary type. And if they're equal, you get a point for each and that kind of thing. And so it all kind of works itself out. And it was up and down and moves around, that sort of thing. But by far, Luke is the highest, which I think is certainly true. As we learned last week, Lucans love to love. It's the core of who they are. They need a discipleship system that allows them to love more people and love them better. Because a Lucan's journey in discipleship centers around defining and growing in relationships with each other. I think that's why two years ago we envisioned and we put into action a systematic plan of starting small groups. It took off so well. Those B groups of three to four people, men or women, based on the Wesleyan tradition, those are bands. And the D groups, 10 to 12 people, both genders, those are classes in the Wesleyan tradition, have been changing and growing many deeper in discipleship over those last couple of years. There were already dozens of them that were rooted fully in gathering together before the pandemic hit. So while other churches struggled to keep people together and get them online, by the end of the first month, most of our groups were back online. And by two months, almost all were gathering online again. And over the last couple of months, several have returned to in person or some form of hybrid classes now. There are at least five or six that are meeting that way. And I think our fruitfulness is that whether we knew it or not, being a Lucan church, the discipleship for Lucans is built upon circles, not rows. It's all about relational circles. And when I look at the people who submitted their results to me and those who are in small groups, I can see that there are many Lucans in those small groups, not surprisingly so. Now the next thing we have to do is to build off that growth, to do as a church is what Lucans have to do personally too, define our circles of relationship. Then seek to grow in those relationships, in those four areas that we talked about. So the first one of those areas is that spiritual practices we've already talked about you know, during the weeks, spiritual formation, participation in worship, risk-taking missions and service, and sharing witness. Those are all a part of the relational circles. And as Lucans, we use the idea of self and family, church and neighbors, 
what we talked about during this week of devotionals. But as a Lucan church, we might look at that by identifying our close and casual and potentially new relationships. For instance, I think we can define our closest relationships for us as our small groups. So many of you have told me how stronger your groups have become, and it makes total sense. Even Sunday school classes that have become half of what they are when they're normally in person have said those who are gathering online are much closer and deeper than they were with less people. And that's because they basically have become small group focused, not large classes that gather and listen to a teacher. It also makes sense of the question I asked a couple of months ago. How do small groups impact beyond themselves what is happening in the whole Good Shepherd community? Because you see, that's a question Good Matthews asked as they see the church as the whole community gathered, not just small groups. And so our second circle then is our church as a whole. How does that reflect into our church as a whole? And then our widest circle is our Hendersonville community or White House community or Cottontown community or whatever community that you live in or the Gallatin community. And all this pairs with the last words of Jesus in Acts. And then once those circles are defined, it is time to look at what growth looks like in each one of those circles and in the realms of discipleship that go along with that. What that means is that you know maybe in the small group circle, where it's been centered around spiritual growth for most of this time, like Bible study, prayer, accountability, that's most of what our small groups are. Maybe it's about beginning to integrate the small group into worship or into service together. That's something we were working on, trying to get each small group before all this happened to actually work together, to serve together at events or finding things outside to go and do, like some groups had already started to do. And of course for D groups especially, because the B groups aren't about necessarily opening up to the general public all the time, but the D groups, the larger 10 to 12, should be focused on growing in numbers by witness and invitation. Every group of that size should be always looking to see who can we include, who might be out there. And that's one of the areas where our discipleship hasn't happened as much, even before this time. Because Lucan churches can be so protective of the relationships they already have that they sacrifice the potential of having new relationships. See, Lucans will start small groups with the intention of welcoming new folks, but then become so insider that no one can break in. And that means there's no place for new folks to gather inside the circle. You may have been in places like that, in churches like that, in groups like that where you can never break in to the people who gathered together because there was no space. They all knew each other and loved each other, but there was never a place for the outsider, the stranger, to come in. So it's really important that discipleship in a Lucan community needs what Michelle calls intentional disruption. 
intentional disruption. That Lucans need to be instructed, encouraged, and challenged to break their routines. That we built into our small groups the idea that everyone would eventually move out to form a new small group. That's inherent in our small group system. For instance, the idea when a group reaches 12, they're too big. They need to split into two groups. And yet leaving seems to be the hardest thing to do once folks have found their small group, especially for Lucans. They want to stay forever. Lucans may even stop inviting people so they can stay at 11 and not get to 12. So how do we overcome this? We use the strength of the other parts of the body, the other types. Empower Matheans who are at some point instructed to leave and form a new group because that's the rule because they don't have a problem with doing that. Or Markins who know when it's the right time to start a new group based on the leadings from the Spirit to start something new regularly. And they also, when the Spirit speaks to them, they're ready to go and begin the next thing. Or put time limits on groups meeting together around a particular growth area. Then the next year, shuffle them around for another growth area. And with all of that, all the Lucans just cringed. Because that hits at the very heart of who Lucans are. So Lucans, what I need you to hear is that this intentional disruption is not meant to be mean or to break relationships, but to make new space for people to love. We have to leave some groups in place teach each other to lean into the great gifts of hospitality that Lucans have, but also create new groups intentionally. And the Lucans are the best at inviting people to those new groups. And the other area we've always struggled in as a church is sharing our witness with others through evangelism. You see, my combination of Matthew and John might make me the least likely to ever go door to door to go talk to somebody about Jesus or be involved in relational evangelism. That sends shivers down my spine. But Lucans love to love deeply, focusing on people they know. And the problem is, it's easy for me to see then why, with so many Lucans, why we struggle as a church community to go outside the door and do those things in that way. So I think for us to be fruitful in evangelism, we need to focus on relational evangelism in our Lucan community. What that means is, for example, it's invite a friend. It's actually build a relationship and then invite somebody to come with you Maybe not in these days, but you know what I'm saying. It is that start a dinner church mentality. Start that small group at that local restaurant. That's what Lucans do the best. The fall, the fall block party survey that we're talking about, the questions that came up that night that we sat around and talked for after everybody had long left, and most of them Lucans, was... Do we go back to doing the big event that we have done ever since Frankenstorm Sandy descended upon us and forced us inside where thousands of folks have come, which we are the highlight of the community, which we are well known for being the best of that, 
around after you know seven years of doing it? Or do we go to a more relational model, smaller event, no Facebook advertising, nothing outside, only designed around the idea that we're going to invite people to come with us and get, then let the rest of the group get to know those people. Because that's two different things. And interestingly enough, in the survey so far, that's the same thing that's happening. There are some who want to go, go to back to that model because we reach more people and have the ability to do that. And there are some who are like, wait a minute, that's way too big. It's too much for me. I can't handle it. And most of those are the Lucans, I'm pretty sure. Because the Lucans can't handle the fact is they can't build relationships with 2,000 people coming through the doors. And the other types are okay with that because they're dealing with, like Matthews, the more, the more, the more. Let's have a system. Let's get designed. Get them through here. Like the question this year was for churches is, there are a lot of drive-through trunk retreats happening. What purpose is that? For me as a Matthew, there's no purpose there. Tending out candy through a car door. Even I, not being relational, think that that's probably the worst thing we could do as a church. Let somebody else do that. So the question really becomes is, what is our evangelism really to look like? If those big events don't really do anything for us, except provide them maybe a safe place, but also a lot of headaches, and no time whatsoever, even when they go to eat and stuff, there's 400 people in that place, even Luke can shut down when it comes down to that many people. Is that really how we need to do evangelism? I think that that's the interesting part of all of this is how do we do that? How, and also then how do we equip ourselves about how to talk about our faith? Because Lucans are scared to death to talk about their faith because they're afraid they're going to break a relationship. Say something wrong. Bring up Jesus too much. And that's the fear. So how do we overcome that if we are a Lucan church to be able to break through that piece of it? Is it by inviting people one by one and getting them to know them? Would it be better off to invite 30 people that we know are coming and have specialized Lucan hospitality people who actually attach to that family and walk them through the whole thing and show everything to them and kind of hang out with them, ride the hayride with them, whatever else? Lucans love that. As opposed to 2,000 people that we never, ever make any kind of contact with. And then how do we talk about Jesus? And this is what Jesus is getting at, those last images of his last words and acts, which we see up on the screen. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. But you're not just going to sit there in the upper room with your friends or even that city. And then you go to Judea and Samaria, which is the worst place for Jews to go. They hate the Samaritans. Now he's asking them to go there and hang out. And then, just make sure you got it big enough. Make sure you need to know you need to go to the ends of the earth. Whatever that looks like. So you have these concentric circles radiating outward from Jerusalem because circles are unifying. They're embracing. And that's the movement from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth. But it starts here and then it moves out. You see... The small groups lead then to us going out to the church community, the whole church community, and then out into the greater community outside of our doors. 
I mean, think about this. I want to encourage you that if each one of us loved one new person into our community every year, what would that look like? One person. Not 2,000 at Tucker Treat, not 200 at the Easter extravaganza. One person. If we did that here in this room, that would be a number of people. One person. One year. I think that's where it has to happen. You might be curious what our secondary type as a church might be because obviously we're not just all Lucan. Our next closest type is Matthean. I'm not surprised by that either. Mark is third, but now actually John actually became third just a couple of days ago. And then uh, in this situation, John is fourth. As Rick said last week, John is at least in our top four. Or Mark's in our top four, depending on how it plays itself out. And I'm not going to spend much time on Matthean tendencies because I think we have focused on that previously. And as Matheans, we find that implementing a discipleship path is very appealing. Matthean churches think holistically about discipleship instead of looking at it from an individual perspective or a particular moment in a disciple's life. And I think that Matthean, Michelle says Matthew faith communities map disciples on a path that establishes milestones for faith development in the realms that establish a clear path for inquiring, beginning, intermediate, and mature disciples. They usually have a map, a brochure, step-by-step approach to get to the next level. They define their mission, the mission for the church. They set and share strategic thinking. And because Matthews appreciate clear directions and Matthean disciples work best if they have a clear starting point and an ending point, even recognizing the fact is discipleship doesn't have an ending in our lifetime. And they have markers all along the path to track our progress. Sound familiar? That's because that style has been my bread and butter, bread and butter for all my time here. Certainly because I am a Matthean. And it's worked well for many, but not as well as small groups have worked for others. You see now? You see how it begins to understand why your small group is the most important thing to you, but yet somebody else, you wonder why they're not in a small group or why that's not important in the same way it is, is to you? It's our differences. We've always struggled to pull that whole map together, no matter how many times we've sat down, that whole road, that whole path. I think this is why. We've even tried to throw a little market in there as we have focused on spiritual gifts empowerment by discovering our spiritual gifts and using them. That has been a, a big thing from time to time. That's the part of me that's marking. That's what scored marking on it the first time. How each individual contributes to the whole. Like we talk, we're talking about today in 1 Corinthians here in a minute. And then Matthew takes those, res- Matthews take those results that build systems if they can get markings to give them the results. And if they get the Markins on board in a Markin church, then they can form discernment teams, they will form prayer teams, spiritual gifts counselors, something also we've tried to do with our Grow Gardeners, the guys at one time. And Michelle says they are the hardest group because they don't trust systems. And they're suspicious of anything that smacks of a programmatic response to organized religion. And it takes some convincing to help them to see that in fact they're giving voice to the reality they believe that each individual helps the church better understand who they are as a whole 
And since the key to a market discipleship system is everyone knowing their spiritual gifts, we have also struggled with that. And I think that's because we're looking. And then John was the least by a good margin, where they're focused on cultivating a discipleship system in which mature disciples mentor growing disciples by equipping them. A Johannian disciple system takes patience and time. It's slow at first, but if the roots grow deep and it's not disease, it'll become a solid foundation for a lifetime. I've, I've seen very few Johannian churches like that. And then you might ask the question, shouldn't we try to develop discipleship systems for every type in the church? After all, we want everyone to feel welcome. We want to make our church a space for everyone. And honestly, maybe the idea of leaning into one discipleship type or even two just makes you feel uneasy, especially if you test differently than the dominant discipleship time. Well, I feel you. I'm, I'm, I'm where you're at. That's me. If we are a Lucan church, and Lucan's the last thing that I am, you can imagine the, the kind of conversations I have in my head with myself about you know, you know, what I do. And am I even effective or fruitful in those settings? And so the thing is, I, I wonder, where is my place in not being a strong Lucan? Even though, as Rick would say once again, it's in my top four. Michelle says the answer is no. This is why, and I love her reasoning. The key reason to avoid spending time and energy on designing a system that balances all four types is that by trying to become a different community than the one you are, you'll burn out. And that leads us back to 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. Varieties of gifts, same spirit. Varieties of service, same Lord. Varieties of activities, same God who empowers them all in everyone. We recognize that, that every person is uniquely created, uniquely reflects the image of God. That's why in reality we are not just one or two or three types, but a combination of them all in different proportions. I think we've learned. So I am in, in reality, in my best understanding of myself, a Mathean, Johannian, Markin, Lucan. See? Maybe looking at it that way reveals something more of an ordering than it is an exclusion that somehow I'm not anything about Luke whatsoever. There are certainly some pieces, but there's certainly a lot more Matthew in me than there is Luke. I don't think anybody would doubt that one bit. But it helps to kind of, and I would love to even tell Michelle, maybe, maybe an ordering of all four of them is a better way to answer the question. And we also recognize that each church is the body of Christ. But the body is all those different four types who make up the world. And each body of Christ is uniquely designed, specifically made to reach particular people in our community. And we're not the only church in our area. So that means other people at another church down the road are specifically designed to reach people in their area too. And that God made us different so that as disciples we can reach different people with the good news. Amen? That's our difference. That's the point of all that we have learned over the last six weeks. This is differently. Each Christian community gave us four distinctly different witnesses in the gospel. We are shaped distinctly different in our communities. 
See, discipleship's not a competition with other faith communities or even ourselves, but a collaboration to reach out to all people with the good news of the gospel. And so God has given us these different gifts and types and abilities to be able to do that differently. And so the problem with trying to be all things to all people, which is impossible in the first place, is that we risk being nothing to no one. So God's called us to this corner, this particular corner, in this part of Hendersonville, on us with you and me, with a special mission to reach the people that God wants us to be able to reach. The rub is we have to actually go out and do it and find the way that we're gifted to do it. And yet still the question is, what if I'm a different type than most of Good Shepherd? Awesome. Because what that means is you really might be just the most important people that we have. Why is that? Because it goes back to the analogy of the body of Christ later in 1 Corinthians 12. Everyone is an ear. Everyone's an eye. Everyone's a hand. It wouldn't work. And if you had three eyes or four hands, you might get a lot of stares when you go out in the first place. Everybody has their place. And most of the time, we spend most of our time trying to say, I wish I was an ear, I wish I was an eye, or the hand's more important. And so Paul makes it quite clear that no part of the body is any less a part of the body than another part. That they're all important. And so Michelle says, any church that only has one discipleship type will wither and die because there will be no one to challenge each other to grow in different areas of our faith. For those of you who are not major Lucans, you can help make sure that we don't become a church that's only focused on our close relationships in the church and no one can break in. We keep our Lucan friends honest. And vice versa. We're going to explore this week what it means to be a Mark or a Matthew or a John in a Lucan church, Lucan leaning church. And then what 1 Corinthians also tells us about our discipleship types. It tells us no matter how God created us and gifted us, we can bring strength when we disciple together. Amen? It's easy to focus on what makes us different. And we can feel inferior about that. And God knows that I have spent time in that place of feeling inferior because I'm not like someone else or don't have the typical traits of being a typical pastor or lots of other things that can take me down the road of just call it quits. Why bother to keep doing this when I'm so different? Because what we tend to do with our differences is look at those as being the thing that makes us who we are not the things that make us the same. The diversity that we bring together enables us to do different things. We're not always going to understand each other. We're not always going to be able to know what each other's thinking and be able to figure out how it is we're supposed to do something. But when we come together and we spend that time focusing on, wow, the gifts that you bring to the table and the gifts that I bring to the table, and they come and they bring something, create something glorious, then God is pleased. God has given us exactly what God wanted to give each one of us. And none of us 
needs to be left out of that. It's because we're not the same type as somebody else. I have to resist that urge. I say it to myself all the time. I have to resist that urge that somehow I'm inferior because I'm not like the rest of the world. Instead, let's look at the strengths. Michelle says, a Markin's primary strength is integrating everyone who comes in the doors because they see a special purpose in everyone. Markin's, we need that. And their second strength is innovation. They are willing to try new things. We also need that, especially during this time. They believe and experience miracles in their lives. They don't see any boundaries. Matthean's primary strength is action. Faith without works is dead. They respond to needs. They bring structure and purpose. And second, Matthew's secondary strength is knowing how to do church, and they do it well. When it comes to the breadth of its programs, its strength as an institution, the activity of its people. And Lucan's primary strength is love. Practicing that love for everyone. They value people not for what they bring, but simply for who they are. And their second strength is their staying power, like Debbie talked about last week. They are the least likely ones to leave no matter what. The other types will all leave for different reasons. And last, Johannian primary strength is teaching, learning, passion for the Bible. And their second strength is their standards. They provide stability in a rapidly changing world. And the best part of all of this is that we learned, and I've seen it being discussed, and people going back and forth and trying to figure themselves out and trying to have those conversations. And all these four types talking to each other and keeping moving forward in their discipleship. But now we can be intentional about how we work together with every part of the body we are and to understand each other better. Not to typecast each other, not to pigeonhole each other, but to celebrate those differences and then utilize them. That's what God would have us to do. So we have some eyes and some ears and some feet and some hands. And so Markans are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Matthians are action-driven. Lucans are focused on relationship. Jahanians are nurtured by a mentor-apprentice relationship. And all of us together make the body of Christ. And I hope that we have grown closer in our understanding to all give us some space it's okay not to be the same as somebody else. That God has gifted you and me the way that God wanted us to be gifted to do glorious things for Him. And that's the most important thing out of all of this. Whether you're a Markan or a Mathean or a Lucan, Jahanian, or 14 combinations of the above. May everything that we do help us to bring glory to God's mission and enable us to work together. Praise the name God come up. That's my hope. My hope has been a positive thing to help us. I've had lots of positive conversations. It's helped me. 
to figure out more about myself and to understand better as a Messian pastor in probably a Lucan church some of the struggles that we both have. Because I don't understand Lucans as much and for those who are Lucans don't understand Matheans as much. Did you notice people that are the same type as you or you think are the same type? There's like an innate language that goes on that you automatically kind of pick up on with each other pretty immediately. It's because we resonate in those ways. And so the other types that we don't resonate with as much, we have to work a little harder to be able to make sure that we see where they're coming from so we can enable us to work the best for Christ that we possibly can. So I hope you'll soak that in over time. This week we're going to look at devotional-wise how do each four of these types deal with being in a pandemic? And I think it's very interesting to see the responses on that. So remember, go back and look at 1 Corinthians 12. It's an amazing chapter that speaks about our giftedness. i 
the doubter, to the hero and the coward, to the prisoner and the soldier, to the young and to the older, all who hunger, all who thirst, all the last and all the first, all the offers, all the princes, all who failed, you've been forgiven, all who dream and all who suffer, all who have loved and lost another, all the chained and all the free, all who follow, all who lead, anyone who's been let down, all the lost you have been found, all who've been labeled right or wrong, to everyone who hears this song. Come to the table, to join the sinners who have been redeemed. Take your moment the spirit was speaking to me about something I was thinking about the fact is before all this you remember one of the things people always said the most about our church when they came and visited they said I felt truly welcomed we don't do the old jazz what you just do where it's just kind of pat the flesh and you know it doesn't really mean anything kind of thing I've never heard that about us being cold. And I think that's because of our, who we are. Same reason I can't get to get out and get away and space out from each other because all the Lucans want to gather together. But I thought about something else. How many times have you ever been like in the fellowship hall or somewhere else and you've gone there to go sit down and eat and you were the odd person out? The table was full over here, and the table was full over here, but, you know, either start a new table, be by yourself. Do you know what this church tends to do? People are gathered together like that. They go figure out how to pull a chair over and shove it in where everybody's uncomfortable to eat together because they don't want anybody else to be left out. I think that's our strength. I think it's who we are. We live it out naturally. And if we truly live into it, to go forth and invite people, not in massive ways, but in relational ways, I think we'll see the key to how it is that we can grow the church here at Good Shepherd. So hear these words as we leave together today, wherever they might be. Don't you know I still have things written down? And always will. The Spirit of God is upon you. Go forth proclaiming God's love and liberation. The Spirit of Christ is upon you. Go forth to live lives of justice and freedom. The power of the Spirit is upon you. Go forth as one body, one Spirit, 
one witness to the promises of our God. You have been called and anointed. You have been strengthened and enlightened. You have become one body in Christ. Now go to spread joy and freedom in word and in deed to all the world. And the people of God, both here and at home, said, Amen.